Am I recording now? Okay, can you give me a mic check really quick? Check, check. <clears throat> All right, everything looks good. And I'm going to put about five seconds of silence in there, and then we'll jump right into the conversation. I'm sitting here with Mike Schmitz. Mike, how are you doing today? Doing great. How are you, Jay? I'm doing just great. For those that don't know Mike, where are you like sleeping under a rock or something? But Mike has been in the productivity space for a few years now, um, longer than I've been in the productivity space. I remember reading his material as I was preparing myself, you know, with the original launch of productivity in tech. Uh, he is an author uh, of the wonderful book, Thou Shalt Hustle, which I can never remember. Is it Thou Shall or Shalt? <laughs> <laughs> it's shelf. <laughs> That's what I thought. More King James-ish. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's also worked with the Productivity Powerhouse Asian Efficiency. And lately, he has actually branched out um, and as well as doing his bi-weekly podcast with other guests of the show, uh, Joe Bulig, uh, Bookworm, where they read a book or more in two weeks, something that I cannot keep up with. Uh, he is also starting a course called Faith-Based Productivity. And as someone who has had the opportunity to check this course out, um, for those that don't know, I am a per I'm, I'm a Christian. I have Christian beliefs. And uh, I don't want to steer someone who maybe doesn't believe the same way that I do away from listening to this episode. I think that you will learn a lot. We're not really going to talk too much about the course, uh, but I encourage you to learn a lot from what Mike has gone through. And we're going to break that down a little bit more in this conversation. So Mike, I I've talked all about the business side. Uh, let's, let's talk about you. Like what, who is Mike Schmitz? <laughs> Mike Schmitz is a poser. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> it's what it feels like sometimes uh, because I appreciate all the the kind things that you, you said about me. But as we were talking about before we hit the big red button, uh, a lot of this stuff is kind of trial and error. And so the place that I'm at in my career currently, it's a little bit refreshing because I've kind of rebranded the uh, the other podcast I do is with David Sparks. Uh, it's called Focused. It used to be called Free Agents. Now it's a productivity podcast, but kind of along the lines of that nobody really has this stuff figured out. It's a lot of trial and, and error. And so if I were to give one piece of advice to anybody who is listening to this, it would be just go make your thing. It's not going to be perfect. Don't compare yourself to something else that's out there. Go ahead and make your mistakes. But then as you make the mistakes, it kind of as you iterate in public, as my friend Sean McCabe would say, people are still going to be encouraged by your journey. And as long as you have a growth mindset and you're looking to get better, you're looking to improve every time that you do something, that's the, the real key. So I really haven't been in the productivity space or even online for that long. It's only been a, a handful of, of years. And it was really scary when I first wrote that, that book that got me, got me here. But uh, I guess what I'm saying is like, you just, just keep doing the, the next thing and eventually you will get to the point where you do have a couple things figured out and then you just teach what you know. Uh, you don't have to worry about the the imposter syndrome if you <laughs> if you confess that you don't have all the answers at the very beginning. So I remember you mentioning in I think when you first jumped on uh, to replace uh, Jason Snell on 
on free agents, which again, now you said is focused. Uh, I remember that episode where I had no idea. I was like, I I have to admit, like I thought it was going to be Casey List because I remember that was the same time that Casey. Everybody did. <laughs> yeah, like everybody was like, oh, it's going to be Casey. Like he just quit his job. And then like, oh, here's Mike. And what? What? Mike's no longer at it. What? <laughs> like, did yeah. you feel like everyone? Did you feel like you had big shoes to fill when you made that transition? Oh my gosh! Yeah, Jason Snell is—he's on half of the podcast that I listen to. I feel like he's—he's <laughs> uh, he's one of the the patriarchs in the Apple tech space, which is kind of the same spaces that I I play in with the productivity space. There's a lot of lot of overlap there, and uh, I guess just a little bit of background on on how that came to be. It kind of ties into what I said at the beginning. Like you just keep making your thing and you keep getting better. And eventually as you get better, Cal Newport would say become so good. They can't ignore you. Like people start to notice. So if you go back and look at my book, which I need to update, I don't even like going back and reading it because I've learned a lot since I wrote it and there's so much stuff I want to change. But anyways, in that book, I talk about a couple people that I really look up to and I label them my internet heroes. David Sparks is one of those people. (laughs) Okay. And then I start doing bookworm and David starts listening to bookworm and he starts sending me emails, uh, encouraging emails after listening to some of the episodes, giving me some advice on how I can get in front of other groups and start speaking more often and stuff like that. And I'm just like, wow, this is, this is amazing. And we're going back and forth a little bit. And then uh, he reaches out and he's like, hey, I want to start a podcast with you. Let's talk about some productivity stuff. I like the approach that you take. And I think we could do something kind of cool. So we were kicking around that idea. And at the time, I was still working with Asian Efficiency. I ran everything by Tan because I didn't want to be in a conflict of of interest or anything. He's like, yeah, go for it. And then uh, Jason decided to leave. David contacted me. He said, well, we've got this this podcast already sponsors lined up you want to just walk into this one i think you'd be a good fit my initial response was not really because i'm not a free agent (laughs) (laughs) he's like no you have all the the right mindsets though like you'll add a lot of value to the the audience so i think you'd be a good fit i think think we should do this okay sure we'll give it a shot you know and then um so I guess, long story short, I'm no longer with Asian Efficiency, and I don't want to get into details, but it was not my choice. It caught me by surprise. Uh, And at the end of the year, since I'm no longer with Asian Efficiency, uh, we're talking about the the Focus podcast, or free agents, and realizing that a lot of the people that listened to it weren't free agents, but they listened to it anyways, and they liked the, the stuff that we talked about. We kind of thought, well, maybe we should appeal this to a broader audience. So that's kind of how we we morphed it into to focus and I'm pretty proud of the, the episodes that we've released so far. And now like David's a friend of mine. He's been very encouraging. He's given me a lot of advice during this transition period. But if you go back to the beginning and if you were to tell Mike at the beginning, you're going to become podcast co-host with David Sparks. Like I tell you, you were crazy because I couldn't see the way that that, that could happen. I didn't see the path forward to that point but you don't need to see the whole path you know you really just need to start doing your thing and you need to constantly ask yourself what's the next best thing and that may take you in some interesting directions like it did me (laughs) so i i definitely have enjoyed the the focus podcast and the one about email was was crazy because i i think i haven't 
argued with you or David as much as I have in my own like AirPods uh, during that episode. Not because of anything you're doing wrong, just because I don't want to be wrong either. So <laughs> I, uh, I definitely have enjoyed that content. And, you know, like you said, the, the information that you were providing, although the target audience was initially people who were free agents, I, I've learned a, a long time ago, like even with this podcast, uh, before we took our break, the audience that was listening were more creatives than they were developers. And I think the harder I pushed in the direction of, no, this is for developers. No, this is for, you know, developers, designers, programmers, blah, 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 blah. The harder it became for me in just letting the thing kind of take a life of its own. Um, And I, I say that in thinking that I was the person that wanted to be a free agent, listening to free agents, hoping because I, I wasn't a free agent yet, but thinking like, oh, maybe I can, you know, put this in my direction. Uh, I think that making the thing is important, but I think sometimes trying to uh, niche down to what you think the audience is, is probably one of the biggest like productivity snares that people run into. It was like, I have a specific vision for this and I'm approaching that vision. Although over here, I'm neglecting this whole vision that, that wasn't in my plans. Um, and I, and I, I want to kind of bring this all together by asking you, was faith-based productivity the plan for you? I know writing the book was a big goal that you had and you accomplished it, but taking that to the next level with creating a course, was that all a part of the master plan of, of what Mike Schmitz does? <laughs> uh, that's a tough one to answer. I would say yes and no, um, depending on when you asked me. So when I wrote the book and even for a period after I wrote the book, I really didn't anticipate having something else next that was faith-based. I was very content working with Asian efficiency and felt that my personal core values aligned with the company core values very well. And I talked about my faith on the podcast, not in a preaching sort of a way, but just in a story sort of a way where this is me and this is how I arrived at the conclusions that I arrived at and why I do the things that I do. And that authentic story didn't seem to alienate anybody. Um, but the, after a couple of years there, I kind of got the itch for something bigger. I had been making a lot of video courses with Asian efficiency. So that was kind of a, a logical place to go next. Now, the course for faith-based productivity is different than a lot of the stuff that I had done previously, though, because it's me in front of a camera. So I know how to build things in ScreenFlow. I know how to make videos and record audio and grab slides and use Keynote. But this was something totally different. And it took a while to get to the point where I was confident enough in front of a camera to make this course the way that it currently exists. I had been, uh, I joined Toastmasters probably a couple of years ago now, cranked through the, the first 10 speeches, which you need to get your competent communicator, entered a couple of contests, I was actually, I, I don't consider myself a funny guy, but I competed in the humorous speech contest and I won 
like four different rounds, made it to the finals, which is the whole state of Wisconsin and the upper peninsula of Michigan and lost to a professional comedian. And that was a pretty cool experience. Number one, it gave me a lot of practice speaking in front of people. And number two, it showed me that I had some skills that I didn't think I had, (laughs) that I could actually write a humorous speech and I could actually be funny. Not that I'm the guy who tends to be very outgoing and tell all the jokes, but uh, it it pushed me outside of my my comfort zone and I had a, a bit of success with it, which was kind of shocking to be honest. But everything along my journey has been a little bit shocking. Like I never really wanted to do podcasts. I was terrified of talking live into a microphone. I didn't think I could think on my feet that fast. And then I started doing webinars, which were even more scary because these are live in front of people. And then I started doing public speaking, which they say the average person, their number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death. Uh, That was definitely me. I would rather be in the coffin than speaking at the funeral. (laughs) But I've overcome it because I put myself in that position with the mindset that I'm going to learn how to do this and I'm going to figure out what I did wrong and the mistakes that I made along the way. Um, Which, side note, that's one of the things that I think Toastmasters is really great at is it gives you a non-threatening environment where you're free to make your mistakes and people are all there in order to learn and to get better. And regardless of your goal, whether it's public speaking or it doesn't matter, like if you can find a community that is open and supportive (coughs) like that, that will help you a ton in in, in growing your your skills. You know, I I have always been like looking at Toastmasters from the outside in, um, that has been something that I just have not been able to make that jump. And and speaking of which, uh, I kind of want to take that whole making the jump kind of into my next question. I remember at one point there were talks about uh, me potentially doing a course uh, with Asian efficiency. And I had sat down and I had talked, I believe I talked with you and I had talked with a few others in the company and I want to say it was you, and, and I, I'm forgive me if it wasn't, but I'm almost certain it was you. No, um, it was me, and it was uh, analog, analog was, productivity. Bullet, yeah, analog productivity and bullet journal specifically, I think, <laughs> which I'm still doing to this day. But <laughs> but <laughs> at the same time, like I just remember you saying, "This sounds like something that you really have a good shot with. You should not <laughs> put this." Because you're going to lose ownership of this. How, when when something like faith-based productivity, obviously it has a spin of you are doing things because you are ordained by God to do those things. How important is it that it is you doing that thing? How important is it that Mike is fulfilling faith-based productivity and Mike isn't supporting someone else doing faith-based productivity. How important is that for you? Well, for me personally, it's extremely important because this is kind of the the thing for me. If you were to uncover your own purpose, the reason that you are here on this earth, like that's going to provide the motivation and it's going to be the the why behind everything that you do. I've always kind of considered my Christian faith to be like the spiritual why behind all the productivity things. I think productivity and and stewardship, which is a concept from Matthew 25 and the parable of the talents, that those are very closely related. But 
I, to make your question a little bit broader to anybody who happens to be listening to this right now, it is extremely important that you do the thing that you are supposed to do rather than support somebody else who's doing the thing that you are, are supposed to do. Uh, I'm currently reading a book by John Maxwell, uh, Leadership, and he has a quote in there from Phillips Brooks, who is a 1900s preacher who wrote actually the hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And he said, sad will be the day for every man when he becomes absolutely contented with the life he is living, with the thoughts that he is thinking, with the deeds that he is doing, when there is not forever beating at the doors of his soul some great desire to do something larger, which he knows that he was meant and made to do. So my personal belief is that everybody has that thing. And you won't find it until you really start asking the right questions and start looking for it. But once you do find it and you connect to it, that is going to be the most fulfilling thing that you could ever do. I, I love that. And and I think that is something that I have struggled with because I've always been a, a big idea person. Uh, I've always wanted to, I never want to build a single statue. I want to build the Empire State Building. You know, I, I don't want to, you know, build a, I don't want to write a blog post. I want to, you know, publish a book. And for me, it's always a matter of getting in over my head. Um, you know, if you look at the parable of the talents, one person got, you know, five or 10, one person got five, one person got one. Um, I've never considered myself a 10 talent person. Uh, some people might put that on me. I ask that they don't because I don't know if I can handle it. Uh, but at the same time, how do you how do you figure out where you are in that position? How do you figure out, okay, I feel like this is my lane. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Let me get into that. Or how do you know when maybe you're stepping a little bit outside of your lane and going into someone else's? Uh, what has what has been, I guess, the guardrails for you in this career change and in this decision? Sure. Well, let me address one thing specifically because I forget exactly how you phrased it just now, but you mentioned staying in your lane versus crossing over into somebody else's. Uh, and I think there's a difference between doing that and doing something that you feel you shouldn't be doing just because somebody else is doing it better. I personally believe that there is more than enough success for everyone to go around. And you don't need to view it as a scarce commodity. You don't have to view it as, well, Mike has this productivity podcast that he does with David Sparks, so I guess I better not create a productivity podcast because it's just not going to be successful. There's only so many listeners, and they're all listening to that one. All right, so that's that's a little bit different. Um, the other thing I would say in regards to connecting to the the thing that you're supposed to be doing and doing that like how do you i mean there's there's a lot in there you for some people it could be balancing i know i'm supposed to be writing but like you said maybe i want to write this book instead of writing the blog post the blog post is the thing that i could do every day but it's also the thing that i'm just not motivated to do and that's where a lot of the tactical productivity advice i think can can come in handy so number one thing i would say don't look at it at a, as a project basis. 
think about the end game, think about your big vision, and then the identity that you need to associate with that thing. One of the best books I've read in the last year is Atomic Habits by James Clear. And he talks about that. He talks about identity-based habits as opposed to outcome-based habits. With an identity-based habit, you become the person who does the activity that you want to turn into a habit. So let's just talk about your project, Jay, with the, the book, okay? So you want to become a writer. What does a writer do? They write. It doesn't really matter the form. What matters is that you show up every day. Now let's bring that back to the parable of the, the talents. I think there's a couple things you can glean from that passage of, of Scripture, and it's not just from a Christian context. It's really the compound effect, okay? So at the beginning of this story, there's a guy who's got five. There's a guy that's got... It's got two, and, the, and there's a guy that's got one. Okay, and the guy who has five, it says that he went immediately and got to work with it. So I kind of think that at that point in the story, we're kind of joining it in progress. He's qualified himself. He's got enough capacity to handle five talents, which talents, by the way, in Bible times, that represents money. And then the, uh, the guy with two, again, like he goes and he works it, and then he multiplies it. The guy who got one, he didn't do anything anything with it. Now, the other thing here that we see here is that they both doubled. So if you were to take that pattern of multiplication and continue it, you will quickly, you will quickly have more than enough. Uh, it, you just have to keep multiplying the talents that you have. If you were to take a penny and double it for 30 days, you've got over a million dollars. One of my best or one of the, my favorite stories on the topic of multiplication it's about the guy who invented the game of chess. And the story goes that he went to the king of the country where he lived and the king was amazed. He's like, what do you want for this amazing invention? He says, I want one grain of rice doubled for every square in the chessboard. So 64 squares, one grain of rice for the first, two for the second, four for the third, eight for the fourth, so on. And after a week, he asked the royal treasurer, did you pay the guy? He says, no, we don't have enough on the royal treasury because it's like 9,000 trillion grains of rice. Okay, and that's what people don't understand is if you just show up every day, if you just don't break the chain, and if you just do the thing over and over and over again with the right mindset, I mean, you can't just keep doing rote repetition, not learning anything and not getting better. But as long as you approach it with a growth mindset and you do it all the time, it really doesn't take long for that compound effect to kick in. You don't see it immediately. This is why with New Year's resolutions, people burn out and they stop going to the gym before the end of January because they're working really hard and they're not seeing any gains yet. Okay, but if you stick with it, the gains will come and it becomes easier the more that you do it. So that's, that's what I would say to anybody who's listening to this and, and to you specifically, Jay, is like if you have this vision for where you want to be in the future, identify the thing that you need to do, who you need to become, and then just do that thing over and over and over again. Another thing James Clear says is that every time you do that thing, you're casting a vote for the type of person you want to become. So think about an election. You know, whoever gets the most votes wins. So if you show up every day and you cast a vote, eventually you're going to win the election and you are going to be a writer. I think that that is probably the biggest value there. And, and especially when you're talking about compounding, um, you know, just starting at something. Uh, I, have a, I have a client who, you know, is wanting to get into blogging and they're like, I don't, I don't know what the first post is going to be, be about. And I said, well, what's the second post going to be about? And they're like, oh, well, eventually I want to get to talking about this stuff. So we'll just do that. 
<laughs> like, I'm like, oh, but the first one should be an introduction. And I'm like, oh, why? Because in what world does someone go to someone's blog and say, you know what? I really wonder what this blog is about. Let me go back to article number one and see what they talk about in their introductory post. And right. um, I, I have to ask, and, and this will probably be the, the the final question before we jump into the after show, uh, just because I'm excited to, to field questions from you because I feel like you're going to uh, really bring the heat on this one. Uh, but in that moment, people have such a hard time starting. Um, I know uh, John Acuff, just finished a book uh you know one of, one of my favorite books was, was start and the other one was finish <laughs> so um for me uh, i i love the idea of just jumping in and and going into it was that something that you struggled with uh going on to this journey into becoming a an independent creator was this some did you have any trouble getting started or dealing with those first few days yeah. Um, well, it's it's a constant struggle, to be honest. And by the way, John Acuff's next book is do-over. So once you start and you finish and you mess it up, <laughs> you get to try again. <laughs> um, and I think that's really the pattern. And to be honest, like with faith-based productivity, like I mentioned at the beginning, this is kind of outside my comfort zone. This is not something that I've I've done before. I am nervous about putting this out into the world. I believe that it will be good. I have made it the very best that I can do, but at some point, like you have to trust that it's going to be good enough and people are going to benefit from it. And that's really scary when you're you're unsure about it. If you've done something a bunch of times, you kind of know what the expectations are. For example, if I record a, a podcast episode at this point, I kind of know whether people will really like it or if they're not going to get that much much out of it. Uh, at least the audience that I typically speak to. I, I know what they're looking for, so to speak, but you don't always know what people are looking for. And that can be really scary. That's when you really got to gotta dig deep and you got to go back to your, your main reason for why you're doing the thing that you're doing. It kind of gets back to the whole idea of passion that I talk about in the book, which I tie passion back to the, the Latin root of the word passion is the word petit. It means to suffer. And so a lot of people think passion is like doing the thing that you you love to do. My passion project is this thing I just love working on, right? Wrong. Your passion project is the thing that kills you if you don't get it out. If you can't get it out of your, your heart. That's really what the book was for me. It's what the course eventually became. I sat on the idea for that course for about a year. And over that year, I kept collecting. I kept researching. I just kept jotting down all these notes, different ideas that I had. It eventually got to the point where it's like, I just can't keep this thing inside of me anymore. It hurts too much. So I called up my brother and I'm like, hey, you want to help me make this thing? <laughs> and uh, so, yeah. And, and as, as we're recording this right now, the first batch of videos is, is released. Uh, I'm still working on getting the other ones up. Hopefully it's going to be done by the, the end of, of February here. But the videos, videos themselves are, are done. I've got a little bit of work to do yet with the, the course workbook and, and stuff like that, which that kind of leads to another point in that once you start doing this thing, once you connect to your, your why, which I guess I'll just for, for context, my why, the thing that makes me go, my life theme, I call it, is I want to help people answer the question, why am I here? By inspiring, encouraging, and teaching them to connect to their calling, discover their destiny, living the life they were created for. Okay, so everything that I do, I try to filter or view through that lens. And if it's in alignment with that life theme, then it provides the motivation to follow through and do it. 
once you start, once you take that first step, usually it ends up being way bigger and way harder than you thought it was going to be. <laughs> but if you believe in the vision and you've got the motivation, you've got a strong enough why, then you can follow through and you just keep taking one step after another and, and eventually you, you get to the, the final destination. That reminded me of, uh, in Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, uh, she talks about the idea of inspiration being kind of that thing that is fleeting. And I, kn- I know that she takes it from the original idea that the Greek idea of, you know, inspiration was like your muse was a, was a thing. It was this spirit that it was either with you or it wasn't. And if you didn't have it, if it wasn't there for you, then you wouldn't be inspired to create. You wouldn't be able to do these things. And she, she likened it to the idea of, it's it's like a, a friend that comes in the wind. You know, it might stop by and say hi. It might, you know, you might see it, but then it disappears again. But you have to do your best to put yourself in the position to be where it's going to be. You're going to have to do things that aren't going to be inspiring just because inspiration might come out of it. And that's one of the things that I do with these conversations. Uh, last year was very tough for me. Giving up the pit podcast was tough for me. And I just remember being in that position of like, I need this in my life because there are so many wonderful people who are there to inspire. Like, I feel like they can inspire me. And if they inspire me, I know that they can inspire someone else. So I say all of that to thank you for coming onto the show and inspiring me to continue to push in that direction. Uh, but before we, we jump into the after show, which I have to tell the listeners out there, uh, at the end of each show, my guest interviews me and they ask me whatever questions they want. It can be about what I ate this morning. It can be about uh, my life goals or anything. As someone who has looked up to Mike and has kind of watched you know, the journey that he's taken for a few years now. I am excited to hear more from him in regards to my life. I'm, I'm excited to hear him speak into my life. And I think if you are not listening to his podcast, if you're not, you know, listening to his course, if you are wondering what you are supposed to be doing, if you are struggling before you even sign up to be one of my coaching clients, listen to him because he has this ability to just kind of get you motivated and amped. I, I got like five blog posts out of this conversation and it's only been 30 minutes and <laughs> I've been like trying to write them all down on, I have to keep muting my mic to like write each idea down and like, okay, when I was interviewing Mike Schmitz, I you know, and uh, so definitely uh, learn how to support us. It's in the show notes. I'm not going to rally on about that, but Mike, please tell everybody where they can see about see all the things that you're doing and where they can uh, reach out to you uh, if they want to be as inspired as I am. <laughs> well, thank you for the the kind words. Uh, the course is at faithbasedproductivity.com. And as I mentioned, I'm still putting the finishing touches on it, but it's going to be released very shortly. I do have a special pre-order until the course is 100% done. So the base course I am selling, it's got 22 videos. It's, a, it's like three or four hours of, of content. And then the, uh, the course workbook that goes along with it, uh, some resources like my daily planning template, 
planning your perfect week, the wheel of life, all that kind of stuff. And that is $197. Uh, I am currently selling that with the personal retreat course, which is another course that I put together on the whole topic of hosting your own personal retreat. One of the things that has really allowed me to execute on my 12-week year goals for the last several quarters. And also a coaching call with me. And that package would normally be $347, but that's discounted. That's $197 until the... Uh, until the course is officially launched. So you can find that at faithbasedproductivity.com. And then I've got a couple other podcasts. We mentioned them today. Uh, Bookworm is the one that I do with Joe Bielig, where we read a self-development or productivity-type book every couple of weeks. That's at bookworm.fm. And then Focused is the productivity podcast I do with David Sparks, which is about more than just cranking widgets. That's at relay.fm slash focused. And you can find links to everything else that I might happen to be doing <laughs> online at mikeschmitz.me. I've got to figure out a way to get uh, David onto the show too, because he he's another one that I've I've really been I've like you said I've looked up to for a long time, and I've learned that it's usually is just as easy as asking. Uh, so uh, I hope I can gain the courage to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's that can be scary. I get it. <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna cut the actual show there. I'm going to jump right into the after show and I actually have good news because I thought we were going to have like 10 minutes of after show, but I got a message like right in the middle of the conversation from my seven o'clock saying, Hey, can we do this tomorrow? I'm dealing with some stuff. So we have as long as you want to take. Uh, so at this point, this is now, uh, I don't know. I've been given all of these names and I'm, I'm, I want to say that this is the Bobblehead Show with Bobblehead Joe. Uh, I think that's <laughs> what we're going to call this one. So, uh, Mike, this is your show. I'm going to let you take it from here. All right. Well, the number one question that I have for you is, what does faith-based productivity look like for Jay? In regards to your course or just the words? <laughs> the words. Okay. How, how, cause you mentioned at the beginning of, of the, the real episode, I guess, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that you are of uh, the Christian, Christian faith as well. So how does that apply to the things that you do? So I'm trying to figure out the most humble way of saying this because my first thought was, I feel like I want to be like David in that the positions that David held that David held in his early life as a child herding sheep equipped him to take down a giant and eventually be king. And I feel like that has always been not being king, um, but equipping myself so that when I am in that position, I will be able to do it in a way that honors God. So for me, it is, it's been like faith-based productivity is this idea of is what I'm doing right now aligned with the vision that God has for my life. And that is, scares me it scares the pants off me because <laughs> you know for a while that was being a pastor for a homeless ministry you know that was going to a funeral like going to my grandmother's funeral and getting licensed as a minister the day before <laughs> and like having to do like 
the like trial sermons and everything else and studying um, in one of the hardest times of my life. Um, it also meant knowing when you had to step away from certain projects, even if for even if for just a season. Uh, I think that was extremely hard. You know, we we are productivity people. We we talk to a lot of the same people. Um, I love that you guys interviewed Mike uh, Vardy recently. Uh, like he, he is someone that I, I reach out to a lot, and he has inspired me to to focus down this coaching path a lot. And I had to step away from being a productivity coach. I had to step away from being a podcaster because when I laughed too hard, I passed out. I had to step away from things that brought me so much joy in life because I had to be a dad. I had to be a better husband. And to me, that's what faith-based productivity is. It is sometimes bucking against the trend, doing the thing that doesn't seem to be like the most productive in that time because you know that it is all a part of God's purpose and God's plan for you. And being able to say, I'm okay with that, even when inside you're like a wound up ball of mess. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So we mentioned in the, the episode that I, I, I stumbled into a lot of different things and um, my course got corrected frequently, but that doesn't mean that I didn't have a long-term vision of what I believed God wanted me to do and the impact that he wanted me to make. It's just that how it manifested kind of, kind of changed. Do you have that sort of vision for your life? And if so, what what details are you willing to share? So I love how you adequately put yours. Like I was like, man, he's got a vision statement. It's like to the letter. It's like a paragraph. I can't remember all that, but at the same time, like I have I have something similar. For me, it I have I don't have goals like annual goals just because I've always been terrible with goals. Um, but I do have life, I call them life like directions. And those directions are to be, to be a husband, was it to love my family and to love one another like Christ loved the church and to equip others that were in the position that I was in so that they can go beyond where I am. And that inspiration came from, and I don't remember if I've told you this story, or I've, I've told it to who knows how many people at this point, uh, but when I was in the military, I had I deployed to Thailand, and during my time out there, we went to an orphanage, and at the time, I was the only African American that went with the group, and there was a, a kid I didn't even get his name. Like I was just in a completely different space at the time, but uh, he kept like grabbing my arm. And I mean, we're United States Marines, so when like you grab our arm, like there's a whole lot of training that you have to fight back when you're like, no, I'm at an orphanage. <laughs> like, and he kept saying something, and it sounded like like me, like me, like me, and it was like, oh, okay, kid, yeah, I don't know what you're saying, but when we he started talking to the translator, and the translator just like 
pulled me off to the side and he said, all of these kids here are looking at you because you are the only one that looks like them. And they see where you are now and they just wonder how you got there so that they could do the same thing and one day be able to get away from the idea of no one loves me, to, to get away from the idea that I'm not worthy of a family. And like, I stopped drinking after that. <laughs> like that, <laughs> when you hear that, like that completely like radically changes your life. And since then, my goal has always been to find someone who is, who needs help and help and, and do things that, help lift up people that were in a similar that look like me that act like me that have the same interests that I have and some that don't and the things that I do now all kind of point in that direction of like okay how can I how can I reach a large group of people who are similar to me and inspire them to hopefully take a grain of control in their life and, and kind of let God do the rest. Or if, if, you know, they feel like they have to do it on their own to at least start putting those steps in that direction. Uh, but that that is kind of the path that I have. And, and it's not it's not as direct um, as, I, I guess, such a spectacular mission statement. But I feel like it helps keep me on course or at least near the course so that I can stop, do a review and look and go, oh man, I, I'm missing an opportunity here to to achieve that. And then that allows me to kind of jump back in and, and kind of course correct and, and pull my head out of my butt, basically. <laughs> sure. No, that, that makes sense. And it sounds a lot like one of the core values that we have for our family, which is to give selflessly by finding the need and, and meeting it. Which kind of leads into another question then. Have you ever explored personal core values and have you ever identified any for yourself? I think with the with kind of growing up, I, I guess as someone who has taught a lot, I have rarely ever taken time and, and, and this isn't a, a selflessness. I would almost say it's it's being selfish. I have not taken a lot of time to think about myself and what that looks like. It's always been like, okay, what am I in, in regards to, you know, as a husband, as a father, as, you know, a good employee, it's never been like, what am I, <laughs> you know, what is for me? And I think that all came to a head last year where, where like I said, I mean, I was, I was in such a, a rough spot last year. Uh, where my physical health was deteriorating, my mental health was deteriorating, and I had to kind of step away and give myself a little bit of reflection. But but I don't think I have ever stopped it and given myself any any type of personal goals or personal like reflection in that way. All right, we have to check out the corn mazes and core values video in faith. That's right. the one that I'm on. <laughs> so, like, nice. that's that's the next one. I also got to get schedule my my coaching call with you. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, what are you reading right now? I am actually reading the Bullet Journal Method by Ryder Carroll, and I nice. know you What's guys, it? you guys read it, and I like I bought the book the week after you guys did the uh the interview and i was like 
now now I have to finish it and I'm I'm a good like two thirds of the way through. So I'm <laughs> I'm I'm gonna power through. I like I actually really enjoyed the book and I, the problem is I start reading it and and as someone where you know my calendar, my task manager, that is all as of right now, that's all in my notebook. That is all like I do bullet journaling. So I'm seeing things that I haven't thought of doing, and now I'm immediately like, oh, I want to try that. And I think it slows me down in actually reading the book because I want to sit down and and kind of dial in on these new ideas. And eventually I have to stop and remind myself, okay, why don't why don't you keep reading? Because there might be, you know, it might put things in, in context a little more. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. But uh, you mentioned a couple of books in the episode, uh, Atomic Habits, that is... Uh, next on my reading list and then after that is a uh, company of one by uh, paul jarvis mm, i just got that one that's on my list too cool so what has been the most influential book that you have read and no fair picking the bible <laughs> no fair pick I, so i can't pick the bible and i can't pick oh, you can't pick hustle, right yeah exactly <laughs> um you know, this is this is an. I have two. Um, one is Balzac and the Chinese Seamstress by Dai Siji. Um, is a, a beautiful story that talks about the uh, Chinese counterculture and the re-education system under Mao Zedong, where educated teenagers were sent to these ancient Chinese villages, where you know they were mesmerized by an alarm clock and the alarm clock radically changed how it, it made sure that everybody was, you know, out in the fields early in the morning and, you know, just kind of that, that simple life and how they were, you know, they were hiding books underneath the floorboards. And as, as someone who has seen a level of poverty to where like, um, there's a, there's a song and I, I, forgive me, I can't remember the name of the artist, but uh, it's spoken word and it takes place in the mind of a North Korean Christian who has to hide her Bible because she knows that if they found it, they would run over her legs with a like a, a steamroller. And that book kind of always puts me into kind of a position of of understanding of that we we are blessed. We are fortunate to to have some of the liberties that we do have uh, but it also teaches me you know the idea of loving something that is simple and and not necessarily needing a lot of the complexity that that life brings that would be one the second one would be a bi- pseudo biography from uh haruki murakami which is what i talk about when i talk about running and i love that book i love his work and he t- he's an avid runner, but he he parallels running to his writing process, and he talks a lot about the process that he had with writing and how he mirrors that to what it's like training for a marathon and having to be okay with knowing that he's not going to be the fastest runner or necessarily the best writer, but as long as he can continue to enjoy the journey and I mean, this is a guy that that ran the marathon at Marathon at like Marathon Italy, um, which they say is one of the hardest marathons to run. It's the original. Uh, there's this huge uphill portion, and uh, he talks about just wanting to accomplish that in his life. And I feel like 
although you will probably not see me run a marathon anytime soon, um, I feel like that is the race that I run, you know, every day, just in my in my passion and trying to get towards what I feel is has been set for me to do. Nice. I'm going to have to check that out because I was never a runner, but I ran a half marathon last year. So I'm only half crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that that book, it's really interesting. And I, it's always like that saying, you never meet your heroes. And, and I kind of was worried because I had, I had read a lot of his fiction. I had read Kafka on the shore. I had read, um, uh, not 19, I keep wanting to say 1984, but I know it's not 1984. Like I, I think it's IQ 84, something like that. Um, and I, I've read a few of his other books, and I, I have his latest book now. But it's kind of like that inside baseball. Like podcasters don't like to talk inside baseball, and and you often don't want to know how the sausage is made. Um, <laughs> so it's for me, I was kind of worried about it, but at the same time, after reading it, it just reminded me of like that consistency of being able to say like it doesn't matter how many people listen to your podcast. It doesn't matter who's listening to your podcast. I was I was stunned when I found out some of the people that listen to my podcast and how when I stopped recording, people were like, hey, is everything okay? And just wanted to, hey, I enjoy the show. And I was just like, whoa, like I never thought about that. And I wanted to start back up sooner, but I was so caught up with that. Like, how can I, how can I recreate that thing? And I realized a long time later like it wasn't about creating that thing it was about creating like yeah. just just go out and create and and whoever it is for they will find it and you don't have to sit there and, and chase the advertisements you don't have to chase the you know the cp the high cpm count so that you can be a, a solo podcaster i learned really quick i love making the podcast i don't love all of the business behind making the podcast, which is why, you know, with J&J Media, what we're doing now is we're helping people make the thing that they make and helping them focus on that part of it so that, you know, we are taking, we are in, I don't want to say enduring, but we're taking some of the the work for, off their hands so that we encourage them to continue creating. Because I remember what it was like to have, podcast interviewees cancel on you and to have like a show that you still have to put out and not knowing what to do and just being a a ball of mess and (laughs) i was like man if i could just have someone like just worry about this single part of it for me then i would be okay so we we kind of took it upon ourselves to help people by being that part (laughs) nice you told a story from when you were in the military so first of all thank you for your service Uh, second of all what inspired you to join the marines (laughs) inspiration is not the word (laughs) Um, what compelled you to join the marines (laughs) so i i made a bet with a friend of mine that there was no way that i would ever join the military unless i didn't have a pot to pee in or a window to throw it out of And those weren't the words that I actually used at the time, but same concept. (laughs) And funny enough, he went to boot camp a month later and encouraged me like, oh yeah, you should totally look into it. You should look into it. And I I had been independent. I I graduated from high school when I was 17. I worked multiple jobs trying to go to school full time. I moved out when I was 17 and I, I felt like I was doing it. I was independent. I was running a small like 
website building company just for like all the five people that needed a website in Macon, Georgia. I wish I would have stuck with that because I might have ran into uh, one Brad Dowdy that I think we both know. Uh, so we grew up, we were in the same town and I did not know him, but it was interesting because after that conversation a month later, the apartment complex that I was living in was bought out by another company and they were forcing all of the tenants to sign new leases. And I mean, I, I lived in Macon, Georgia. My, I had a studio apartment I was paying $300 a month for. I love that apartment. You can't find that anymore. Like that's unheard of. And like, even in that area, that's really cheap. And they wanted to triple my rent. And again, independent me trying to balance school and everything else said, I can't afford that. So they said, well, you've got 24 hours that you need to get rid of all your stuff and, and go. So in the span of me saying something a month later, I didn't have a a pot to pee in or a window to throw it out of. So I was, I was sleeping in my truck and, you know, crashing at friends houses for like a month and a half. And then my buddy came back from boot camp and made me eat my words. So I, I wound up joining uh, when he was back. And, you know, it was it was all part of the plan. You know, it, it, it paid off. I learned so much. I wouldn't be where I am today had I not made that decision. But I definitely learned to watch what I say uh, a little bit better. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, last question I have for you is if you were guaranteed not to fail, what is the one thing that you would do tomorrow? I would, oh, if I was guaranteed to not fail, I would yep. probably quit my job, but, <laughs> but that's the one thing I would do tomorrow. But I would start, I would really be making a harder push into what J&J Media is and is becoming and what Productivity and Tech is and is becoming. Uh, my goal is to eventually own the business that is helping others while I am coaching and speaking and letting uh, that business generate, you know, monthly revenue so that I can provide coaching assistance for people who can't afford, you know, high-end coaches. And that's always a tough conversation to have with anybody that does coaching because telling them, Hey, I'm going to undercut you (laughs) like that. That's not my goal. That's not my intent. I don't want to coach CEOs that can afford two or $300 an hour. I don't want to coach, you know, I don't want to give these massive talks at Microsoft and make 20 grand. I will totally do that Microsoft. If you want me to, you know, plan something and go out there, but that's not where my heart is. My heart is with the junior developer, the college dropout, the the person that doesn't believe they can land that job, I want to be helping them become more productive, not thinking about the ones and zeros in the code and, and all of those things. Like It's fun that I can talk that language with them, but at the same time, I've learned that there's so much more than just writing the code. And many developers out there struggle with that. They, they can get the ones and zeros. They can't get life. And I want to be able to help them with that part. So what's one thing you can do 
tomorrow that would better serve them edit this podcast and get it out on time <laughs> you know uh, i mean no and that that's the thing is is continuing to support uh, the productivity and tech slack channel uh, the people that are in there they're in there by design like there's the people that join that channel everyone is so unique and so different and so awesome and i always give a shout out to them because when when i had to refund everybody that was in that channel and just sit there and see what happened and watch people literally just a mass exodus of of everything that i had built over the course of 3 years and what was left was like a small band of people that were like it's not about the money we'll continue to pay just don't close this down because what we have has really helped us i've watched people go from unemployed to developer I've, I've watched people go from developer to future business leader and an entrepreneur and and seeing that transition happen, seeing people make that transformation and knowing that in some way I helped impact that decision to, to keep going, to stay at it. Um, the thing that I could do tomorrow is the same thing that I do today is, is wake up in the morning and, and tell the crew good morning share my, you know, we always say coffee or tea in the morning, like who's who's had coffee with the coffee emoji, who's had tea with the tea emoji. And that's not necessarily a question. It's more of just like a, hey, where are you at in your day? Where are you at in life right now? Because we've had people come in and, and just need need support. And to continue doing that, I think would be the best thing that I could do at this moment. All right. So I know I said last question, but <laughs> let's let's think big picture then. 20 years from now, what does a day in the life of future Jay look like? 20 years from now is scary because that means my daughter is in college, hopefully, or she's like doing her own thing. Like, I don't, ah, oh, man, you know, I would be 50. No, I'd be 49 in 20 years. And if I look at where I was when I was 19, I, I wouldn't be here right now, and that's only been 10 years. So I, I really can't tell you what it looks like. I, I can say that I hope that it's me sitting here doing a conversation with a 20-year-old or 20-year-older Mike Schmitz and continuing to just push, and I hope that we're, we're both kind of in positions wherever we wanted to be. But... I don't I don't have a plan for 20 years from now. I'm hoping 20 years from now I am still having fun, having awesome conversations with people and somehow I've finally figured out a way that I can do it more often than just once a week. Cool. Well, January 2039, you and me, let's make it happen. All right, I'll put it on the calendar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I actually have a friend, I actually have a friend that did that. We we scheduled a conversation for 15 years, well, think at this point wow it's actually like 10 years from now uh to make sure that we keep up with each other and it's one of those things where we talk to each other once a year but we said you know hey we're gonna catch up we're gonna sit down we're gonna fully catch up in in like 10 years (laughs) i look forward to that day cool that's all i got well i i i thank you for being such an awesome guest on the show um let me let me stop recording because I did have 